Hello and welcome to the second episode of Jobber's Court. I am Rasquatch, Robert Rath, the king of Jobber's Court. I am once again joined by two special guests that are going to be doing a little bit of legwork for me. My, uh, my serfs or my jesters, as I would like to call them. First off, we have uh, Cedric Cologne, or Cedric the Unentertaining. How are you? Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> okay, all the king once again, jobbing, jobbing. That's what that's what that is. <laughs> it's Cedric Sports Entertainer coming to you guys live. Keep keep hitting those likes. Keep listening to us. Keep supporting us. Yep. Thank you guys for that. Anybody who did happen to listen to the show, we did actually get quite a few uh, quite a few viewers last show. So that that's great to know when you guys are part of that. And the other uh, individual, I think today it's the Halkbreak Kid. Um, I think that that's a that's my favorite nickname for you. Yeah, that's right. I am the man of a thousand and four nicknames, and uh, I'm ready to rock and roll. But I will say this: I'm I'm kind of taken back by uh, by being called a surf. Uh, I think I would prefer nobleman. <laughs> that's all right. Um, you got to work hard to become a knight. Maybe a couple more episodes, I'll I'll get you into like maybe squire category or something. There we go. <laughs> uh, I'll work my way up. Yep. Tell, tell you what, we get we get over a hundred views. You guys can be knights. All right. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, we got a few things to cover today. Uh, just a little preview here. Um, being that season and the fact that they've already uh, locked in Sting for the Hall of Fame, we're going to be giving our opinions on uh, our Hall of Fame nominees, uh, people that we'd love to see in the Hall of Fame. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about title prestige and what that means to us and some examples of title changes that either helped or hurt a specific title. And then uh, we're also going to be doing a dream match or a fantasy booking for us, which would is in this case is going to be Bret Hart versus Kurt Angle. And if they were to wrestle in a one-hour submission match, that's going to be what our thoughts are. So great show for today. And uh, I think we're going to start off with... Our Hall of Fame predictions. Uh, Cedric, why don't you go ahead and, and start us off with a, a few of your thoughts? Alrighty, starting off with the Hall of Fame predictions, you know, just, just thinking about the first name that popped up for this 2016 Hall of Fame class, you know, the, the Stinger, you know, it, it made me think about what, what do I think should be the criteria for a, a sports entertainer or a wrestler going to the WWE Hall of Fame since we've noticed it really isn't a criteria. You know, this is not like other sports, whether stats, win or loss. We, we, we are dealing with, as, as fun as it is, a, pre, a predetermined um, product. So what, what to me would be the best criteria? And one thing that I was thinking was when you have a wrestler that probably due to other commitments are starting to wind down how much you see them in the ring. Um, two names that popped up for me was, First of all, The Rock. You know, I really think maybe not so much this year, but, you know, soon in the next few years, I think The Rock should be someone to be put into the Hall of Fame. There's really no need to wait till he's completely retired or an older person. I think he's done more than enough. His record stands for itself, you know, two, two times WCW champion when obviously WCW was bought into the WWE, eight times WWF and WWE champion multiple IC champs and tag teams, you know, he does have the the whole um, package for being 
inducted in the Hall of Fame. I'm not sure if you guys agree or disagree with that. But in in the same line as, as The Rock, I also think someone like Undertaker, again, this is someone that his career speaks from self, for itself, you know, everything that he's done, what he has meant to WWE and sports entertainment as a whole, not just his record in the ring, but everything he's meant to it. I think that instead of waiting till he's completely done with wrestling, he's another name that for me should be probably thrown around as a, a potential Hall of Famer in the next few years. And looking at some old, an old school name that popped up, I thought of, I thought of Luthas. We, we, we hear his name anytime somebody does Luthas press, you know, He's he was big back in the day, you know. You don't you don't become champion for almost ten years co- combined for for no reason. And he and he has been the creator of multiple multiple moves that we see famous like the Luthes Press power bomb, STF, and 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 quite other other moves. And I was thinking about celebrity as well. Someone that maybe no, not many people think of, Maria Menounos. I was thinking of her. I'm like, she's had four appearances in the ring. She's done multiple interviews. She's done quite a few pay-per-views. Tribute to the Troops, WrestleMania 28, to name a few. She, in the celebrity wing, I think that she will be, she'll be quite, quite a good at adding to it. And my last, I do have a long list, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it short for now. Another, another name that I was thinking of is a post entrance, but Bruiser Brody. Um, I, I know when I was in Puerto Rico, it's unfortunate that his death occurred um, in the island with one of the main wrestling companies down there. But he has meant a lot. Many of these Viking type, Wyatt looking um, characters that we've seen throughout the years, many of them have been in his honor. I'm pretty sure he was honoring somebody before him. But after he his passing, many of these characters were honoring him. And he, too, has a extensive um long history of championships as well through different companies. Any any company that he worked for, he was definitely immediately one of the fan favorites. So that's that's a short five out of my probably thirty names that I put on my list. That's that's good stuff. Uh Alexander, what would you think of his uh his list if those were a few of the names put down for the Hall of Fame? No, honestly I would love that and uh surprisingly enough as it is the rock never really even crossed my mind like he's just he is the most electrifying guy and like it, it almost kind of blows my mind like i was thinking wait isn't he already in the hall of fame like no that was his father that he had recently inducted a few years back and uh yeah that that's a great one uh bruiser brawley definitely uh yeah those are names i didn't really even consider just because their names are already so synonymous as wwe legends uh, Lou says, I think it's a crime that he's not already in. It, it, he's not one of the first inducted in, like probably back in the 90s. I think he should have been put in there because of his contributions. Uh, you know, it's all these move lists that he's the one that pretty much perfected. So what about you then? What would be some, some names you would add to that? Well, um, I'm a big fan of tag teams myself. I know that typically they only induct one tag team per year, typically. Uh, but I've actually got I guess technically I've got two, but my first choice of who should be going in this year, uh, aside from Luthez, I think is a great pick. and He's one that I had on my list. Uh, Sting's already been confirmed. Uh, but the first guy that I've got is uh, 
beautiful Bobby Eaton, Robert Eaton, fantastic work back in the mid uh, Midwest, Jim Crocker promotion, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Even did a quick stint in uh, ECW in a uh, nonstop action for TNA. Um, he was with WCCW before it became WWF and then became WWE. So I think he definitely has a a reason or a, a legitimate reason for being put in. Uh, without him, there really would never be a Midnight Express. And without the Midnight Express, you wouldn't have had such great uh, tag team rivalries during the 80s and 90s. He's, uh, he's my first pick. Uh, my second pick going along with the tag team is uh, obviously the fabulous Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordon, Buddy Roberts, uh, innovators of the Freebird rule that the, uh, that the New, Day, New Day is working right now, plus all their work outside of wrestling as far as training. Uh, Michael Hayes is synonymous with so many great tag teams that have come out throughout the years. Uh, the Hardy Boys, multiple guys that are down at NXT, Michael Hayes has trained them. Uh, so I think the Fabulous Freebirds are a great, great introduction. My last pick for tag teams to go in, and I think they should have been in put put in a long time ago, is the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson. Uh, without those guys, you know, you wouldn't have some of the great tag team rivalries from the Midnight Express or from the Fabulous Freebirds. All those matches that were fantastic, and uh, also. Keeping in mind with the Rock and Roll Express, another reason I think they should be inducted in is because at the time where they first came in, you really didn't see a lot of high-flying wrestlers, uh, guys jumping off the ropes or jumping off the, the turnbuckle. I think Ricky and Robert were pretty much the innovators of a lot of the, the tag team high-flying, fast-paced styles that you see. Before Shawn Michaels and the they came in, he was uh, he was pretty much influenced by Rock and Roll Express. Same with the Hardys, Edge and Christian. Uh, you wouldn't have a lot of these guys without the Rock and Roll Express. I think they're a great pick. Uh, I would love to see Owen Hart in there, especially mm-hmm. since they recently put out the DVD. Uh, I think it's been a long time coming, much like with uh, Randy Savage. I think there's still some conflicts going on with the family. Uh, but I think, if anything, this year next year is probably going to be his year. Uh, for women, I know we really don't talk a lot about women wrestling, but I think that uh, either Stable or China will be a great induction for the women's side, uh, since they both did so much during the during the Attitude Era of uh, really bringing home the fans. Uh, China, you know, all her work with DX. I know there's uh, some what's the word uh, tension and some controversy there about putting her into the WWE uh, with. With everything she did with DX and just the fact that she's the only intercontinental champion female, uh, also the only female to enter the Royal Rumble, I might be mistaken there. there there's um, been two others since her, but she was the first. Yeah, the first. But I think she's definitely got legitimate reason to be put into the Hall of Fame. Uh, obviously, with some of her extracurriculars since she left wrestling, might be a reason to not put her in. Um, but I think that the pros definitely outweigh the cons as far as putting China in. And uh, same with Sable. She's pretty much synonymous with the Attitude Era. You wouldn't have half the fans that you did during the late 90s without Sable. So I think those two would probably be great. And uh, as far as celebrity induction, got to go with Lemmy Kilmeister, uh, just because of his recent passing and everything he did uh, music-wise. 
Uh, yeah, I think every single one of Triple H's since he became the ass kicker Triple H, his music mm-hmm. has been Motorhead, Lemmy Kilmeister. Uh, so I think he definitely has a, a good reason to be put in as a celebrity. Wow. Yeah. Those, that's, that's my- uh, well, as I say, those are, those are great. Some of those, you know, I thought about others I didn't. Cedric, uh, what do you think of, uh, the Hawksters list there? No, that, that's, that's a great list to, to be honest with you. Like I said, I had, I had so many names on my list and <laughs> Owen Hart and China were two of the ones that I actually had an asterisk uh, as possible mentions. Um, I agree with, with the Hawkster, you know. With with China, three times ice intercontinental champion, you know, I don't think we've ever seen a female after her do do anything like that. And all the all the outside stuff that happened afterwards, you know, after her life in wrestling or at least WWE was was done. I, I understand, you know, the possible where they might be thinking, you know, this ain't gonna be good for it, but I'm pretty sure that if we looked at anyone that's been currently in the Hall of Fame you might find things in their past that probably is not something you'll be proud of, but we're not celebrating that. We're celebrating what they did for the company, what they did for us, the fans, and what they did for actual for the actual world of sports entertainment and wrestling specifically. So I agree with with the Hawks of China is a is a good pick. Owen Hart definitely, you know, his his passing came too soon as as you know as we all fit, we felt with any one of the wrestlers that have passed in, at a young age. So who knows who knows the heights that he would have probably reached if he would have had an opportunity if life would have his life would have been taken as soon as it did. So I I do agree with him and, and definitely with in the celebrity who to me what makes a lot of these great wrestlers starts with when they come in their entrance their music and who didn't get goosebumps anytime Triple H's theme songs whichever one it was um, once it starts you already you. That's the start of, of, of that Triple H R R S O. I I agree. Those are really good picks. Yeah, um I think a couple a couple other takeaways um from this and then and, you know, we're just sitting here just talking. There's so much logistics and so much of everything that goes into who actually gets selected to go into the hall, you know. Um it's all about publicity and if that person actually wants to be in the Hall of Fame and obviously that's been the hold up, you know, with Owen Hart and, and then with China and the her, you know, adult movie industry and the stuff that that she's been doing. I think I I really like the idea of the Rock and Roll Express for me because look how many people sort of took that gimmick. And, and I'm, and maybe they, maybe they weren't the first to use that gimmick, but I'm, I'm thinking they probably were the first as far as a tag team to use the, the high flying moveset, which they took from Japan. Um, and then, you know, the, just their style and their charisma and everything else. I mean, we wouldn't have had the rockers, which means we wouldn't have led to the, one of the best heel turns in history with Shawn Michaels, which then obviously wouldn't have went on to Shawn Michaels doing everything that he did. And you could even look at tag teams that are a little more modern. Um, when they had Brian Kendrick and Paul London, they were kind of yeah. cut. They were kind of cut from that same sort of style, you know, that was a uh, the high flying style. But they were kind of like a, like rock stars when they the, in the way that they wrestled. Maybe they didn't wear the tassels and the multicolor and all that, but the um, the style that they presented as a tag team rubbed off. Um, you know, and you can even see it now, in, in my opinion, in, in guys like uh, the the Jacksons, the um, the Young Bucks. 
you can you can see some of the rock and roll express in in the way that they behave and the the way that they're portrayed and the, their move sets and the, you know the other things that they're doing so i think that a team like that is more than you know deserving to be to be in the hall of fame uh, lemmy obviously a uh, I, I think if if there's anybody you give it to this year there's only one other name i'll put out there in a second that I think is is past due to really be in there from a celebrity standpoint, but um, yeah, that would be. I, I might actually cry. I think during that one because of everything that happened and how much it meant to him. And then, you know, he really wasn't a wrestling fan. He really didn't, you know, necessarily understand it as much as, you know, maybe some of these other guys that that are celebrities that come in do. But I mean, come on, if if we got Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, we can have Lemmy in the Hall of Fame. Agreed, one hundred percent. Um, some names that I'll throw out there, I think that I, I would like to see, obviously we, we touched on, touched on Owen Hart, um, and I think Owen Hart needs his own induction, he needs to headline an induction, so, you know, I kind of hope it's not this year, I'd like to see, I'd like to see them do a WrestleMania in Canada again, and have them do Owen Hart's, uh, one there, that would be fitting. As far as performers go, uh, the British Bulldog. I think is one that um, isn't in that I think should be that I think could be a um, you know one of those guys that that did a lot for a long time um, between you know the WWF Stampede and then going over you know going into to WCW um, and back to WWF to finish up. But I mean he's one of those names that if you grew up in the the late 80s and then into the 90s like you knew who the British Bulldog was and Doggone it, if we can have Coco Beware, we can have the British Bulldog. Um, another name <laughs> is uh, <laughs> Miss Elizabeth. How did she ever get overlooked for this long? And it, it, it upsets me. It actually makes me sad that she is not in the Hall of Fame. Um, Randy Savage is in there. Reunite them, please. Put Miss Elizabeth in the Hall of Fame. And if, if there had to be a female inductee, to me, that that's who it's got to be. And last for me, as far as anything that hadn't been touched on too much yet, for a celebrity is Muhammad Ali. So a lot of people forget that one, he was a big wrestling fan. Um, he had a boxing match at one point with Gorilla Monsoon. He was also a special enforcer at WrestleMania One. So he was around the wrestling business for a long time, enjoyed it, and and really liked the business itself. So I think that he would be a he would be a good celebrity candidate as well. What do you guys think of that? I, I think that we were thinking the same things, man. It almost seems like you and I discussed this before you even made your picks because I had actually marked down the British Bulldog, and I'm not gonna and I'm not lying when I say this. My first thought was when I was looking at the list of Hall of Famers, I was like, man, if Coco B is there, <laughs> in the British Bulldog here, that's the first thing I thought to myself. So that's that's pretty awesome that you actually mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I did not put Miss Elizabeth on my list, though. That mm-hmm. you are you are 100 correct on that one. Looking at some of the females that are in the Hall of Fame right now, I don't I don't see why she's not there. My gosh, I'm looking at Coco Beware right now on my laptop. <laughs> He's got to be the worst Hall of Fame member. No, sorry, Coco, but uh, you you got to be the the worst <laughs> Hall of Fame member that that's in the Hall of Fame. Because really, what did what did he do? I mean, he came out with a bird and he flapped his arms and, you know, 
danced around a little bit, but he was never, was he ever above a mid-card wrestler? I don't think so. Oh, I don't want to take from the Hulkster's um, thoughts and, and, and time, but that's a really good point when that you just made. Looking at the list, you see so many names there that really, their biggest contribution, maybe they were mid-card at best at, at WWE or WWF, but they were folks in, in other regions, you know, in other, in other territories, they were big names. So that's another thing that, that I, on my list, a lot of, I also had names that didn't even show up in WWE. That's, I think, I think that's why I didn't mention them, but yeah. Sure. When it I, comes, it comes to him, I think some of the stuff that he did was outside of WWE mainly. I say, I think that's why Luthez honestly isn't in yet. I think a lot of it is because that nobody looks at him really as a, as a WWF guy or, you know, you know, or anything, even even AWA, all that. When you talk territory, I mean, he's just so old school. But there, there's a place for a guy like that, and I mean, possibly the best champion, you know, of all time. Him, I think you could argue Bruno San Martino. You could argue, you know, a few other people. But I mean, ten years total that he held the title, um, and I mean that that's pretty impressive. Some other names that were just sort of thrown around that I saw a little bit of my research was uh, Christian. Um, I think it's a little too soon for Christian, to be honest. Uh, I mean, as, as good as he was, I think we could we could wait a few years. In fact, it'd be great if they do the Canada, you know, WrestleMania, and you have Owen Hart and Christian on that same card. Ivan Koloff, who a lot of people, you know, it, he's he's kind of old school, but I mean, back in that day, you know, he really he really pushed hard with the likes of Bruno San Martino and and those guys back in the seventies um, would be another name that you could look into as far as being significant uh, entry. Other than that, I think you know we've we've covered some some primary names, some some celebrities. Uh, are there any uh, you think we might have missed? Yeah, there's definitely probably names that uh, we've overlooked. Uh, I think the compilation of people that we've just named, uh, I think, are definitely the, probably the most deserving um, people that I think will always be overlooked. And a name that probably won't ever be put in is uh, he who shall not be named, Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Probably one of the most greatest technical wrestlers, uh, even coming from a strong style aspect you're almost every wrestler you hear talking about him in an interview is the guy was just non-stop go 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 but obviously with um with the, the way that he ended his and his family's life uh whether or not you know whatever happened happened but the way it'll go down in history is probably not going to get his his uh his 15 minutes of hall of fame yeah, no, I can't. I, yeah, I say I can't. I can't ever see that happening, and I guess rightly so. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of conspiracies out there, and there's a lot of people who say you know that that his whole his his whole thing was a murder, and that there's a lot of stuff behind it, and that you know there's a lot of conspiracy theories. But at the at the end of the day, you know what. Is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And you, you look at that and you, you want to say that, nah, a guy like that wouldn't do anything. But when you do get the reports back about his brain and how deteriorated it was and, you know, all the issues he had based on, you know, and now it, it actually is really hard for me to watch him. And, you know, when he takes a chair shot to the head or when he, you know, does that headbutt off the top, like I cringe every time. Right. And it, it, yeah. it actually makes it hard to watch 
matches with Chris, but um, another name uh, thrown out there was uh, Lex Luger. What do you guys think of Lex Luger? I think he's uh, another one that uh, is a long overdue as well. And, and something that you said on Rat Squash that kind of makes me think, when you mentioned Christian being too soon, I remember a lot of folks said the same thing about Edge, you know, given the way that he too left uh, what some, some folks consider too soon the the wrestling world due to his um his back. Uh but these are these are guys that you know without Edge and Christian, you know, these table the table matches, you know, you, whether you you put him in as a tag team or as individuals, you know, anytime I think of Christian, I always think more of Edge and Christian and, and what they meant to the TLC world. So Yeah, I guess by by that standard though, that means that we you know, we gotta induct the Hardy Boys right now. And we got we got to induct the Dudley Boys right now, um, for that for that same aspect. So I don't know. I it, it, it's one of those things where I, I look at Christian and I think you know he's in great health still. He's still being very active with the company. He, he, you know, it, it's one of those things to where he, if if they waited two or three years or whatever for Christian, it wouldn't hurt my feelings. But there's guys who've passed, like the British Bulldog, that they need to be there. Like their their time, you know, their time's ended. Lex Luger is in a wheelchair now; he's in bad shape. Mm-hmm. You know, their their time for their ability to to do anything really with with the business is is done. So having the Ooh. ability to present that to them is a is a big deal, I think. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right there with you. Uh, what you mentioned before um, about a WrestleMania back in Canada. Go like uh, Toronto or maybe Winnipeg. I think that would be a, a great location to induct Owen Hart, Davy Boy Smith, and uh, heck, maybe know. even Christian down the road. Yeah. You know, some someone I was thinking about, especially when I once again when I see Coco Beware's name on that list, um, I have just three names. I'm gonna throw them out there, and I'll let you guys talk. Um, tell me what you guys think. I thought about Barrys and Rick Rude, and what and what he meant during that era. You know. To me, I, who doesn't remember when he would just, you know, talk to the fans, you know, call the guy slobs or almost get, do his little poses for the females and, and his famous picking a female out yep. of the crowd to kiss when he actually kissed, um, oh my gosh, it slips my mind right now, whose wife he supposedly tried to kiss and, and got slapped. Oh, I don't remember now. I remember the angle, but I don't remember the actual I don't person. What was that? <laughs> Him talking to the fans. Shut up and let me take my robot. Watch yeah. me take my robot. Watch me. <laughs> if any one of our listeners remembers the name, just type it up once they hear this podcast. Yeah. Uh, another another name that I thought of, and I think he's not even in the greatest intercontinental champion of all times, the Honky Tonk Man. Come on now. <laughs> I, all right. Veteran bro. Yeah. I mean, if Coco's in, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> And this name, I know I'm going to get some heat, but maybe someday at some point, not anytime soon, especially when you think about Sting being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame when he barely did much for the company, but more for WCW and TNA. A name that I thought was at some point Goldberg. I know a lot of people give a lot of heat, but what what the man meant for that era at that time, I think he... For his time that he was in WCW, he meant a lot for the company and probably put a lot of folks in front of the TVs and a lot of butts on the seats in the in wherever they were in the U.S. 
because of people waiting to see who was going to beat the streak. So just throwing those three names out there. What do you think? Uh, how? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's still rumors going out that he is trying to get back into wrestling, uh, whether it be WWE or TNA. Uh, I've heard a lot of speculation recently about him trying to get back in the ring. Well, there, there is a legit rumor talking him and Brock to try to redo the, the ship match, that I call it, that they had at WrestleMania right before they left. So, yeah, there 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 has been rumors of, of that. Okay, so... My take real quick, and then I'll, I'll pass it over to you you guys again, but Honky Tonk Man, <laughs> obviously an iconic iconic character from that time, and I think, you know, the fact that he still actively does stuff is amazing. And sure, why why not? As far as being the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, though, that that's all gimmick. If you ever watched uh, anything that he did, you'd notice he either had to cheat to win or he beat up on jobbers the entire, most of that entire run as Intercontinental Champion. Then uh, Goldberg, for me, I just, I hold a lot of, when you, I mean, I don't want to call it hatred, but a lot of heat for Goldberg because he put, basically put my group, my favorite wrestler of all time out of commission, and that's Bret Hart, a guy who worked very hard to not ever injure someone and who never did injure anyone to the point where they couldn't come to work the next day. To be injured guy by a guy who was too green to be in the position that he was in and didn't understand how to work in a ring and ended up, you know, giving Brett such a concussion, which then led to his stroke. I mean, we could be seeing Bret Hart today possibly still wrestling if it wasn't for that. So, I guess, hard for me on, on Goldberg, but I guess I just hold grudges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I understand you there. <laughs> but, so, does that Ryback shouldn't be WWE champion because, uh, all his injuries with CM Punk? I don't think Ryback's a good worker, to be honest with you, at all. I mean, even, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Like, okay, when I was a little kid, I thought that the Ultimate Warrior was the greatest thing I had ever seen in my entire life. I watched the Ultimate Warrior as an adult, and I go, oh man, oh, this guy stinks. Um, because I look at it from a wrestling aspect. Now, was the Ultimate Warrior entertaining? Yes. Is Ryback entertaining? I think so. He can be entertaining, but he's dangerous, I think, and he does hurt people, and I don't think that there's a, a, a place for that, and it's a respect in, for another person's body, and they have to give up their body to you, and if you hurt them over and over again, I just I feel like that's a little bit disrespectful to the person and, and in, in turn disrespectful to the business. I don't know how you guys feel, but that's that's where I'm at with, with guys like that who were – who didn't really understand what was going on? Yeah, I, uh, I'll be honest. I'll, I'm a huge, huge Ryback fan, and the main reason I am a big Ryback fan is because he's spent so much of his life just trying to make it in the business. And, you know, all the times he's trying to go in, telling him no, coming back, no, coming back, no, and you know, he finally makes it in. And I'll be honest with you: the more and more I see him, the more and more I see exactly what you're saying. And starting to kind of lose interest. Uh, I think he's definitely getting better in in ring aspect, but I think his time for where the company is going may have been too late. I think he would have been great in like the mid nineties when the Attitude Era first kicked off. I think he would have been a hell of a guy to see going up against Goldberg or see going up against Brock Lesnar in his prime because you have that big smash mouth powerhouse matchup. Um, but there's really not a lot of guys. Nowadays, that I think can 
to work that way. You have all, a, a lot of the smaller, more technical wrestlers, the, the high-flying guys that can are just so fast and so agile and can react just like that. Ryback, I think, is just a step behind all those guys now. And it, it's becoming glaringly obvious how, how much behind he is. Yeah, I just think it's not a big man sport anymore. Well, entertainment anymore. Um, you know, back in the, the 80s, 90s, it was all about big guys. And Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, those guys had to really work hard to change that entire, you know, the entire way it was thought about in the wrestling business. But, um, yeah, obviously in the, if he was, if he was around in, in the peak of like 95 when they just had the giant guys that could just come in or in like the early 90s when they were, they were crazy roided up and, you know, if he was around during that time, I mean, obviously he would have been one of the one of the biggest things you you'd ever seen. Um, I will say this about Ryback: I've I've been enjoying his like aerial offense. I think that's pretty cool, and it shows off his <laughs> his athleticism. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, and he looks like he hurts himself more than others, and that's okay as long as you're going to hurt yourself. Um, yeah. Then you know, but uh, I think that there, I, th- I won't say you know that I that I di- I dislike the guy as a worker. I I do kind of like his game. You know, obviously, the crowd's into him. They like to do his chants and do his other mm-hmm. things and and all that. I just. I'm a I'm a mark for technical wrestling and for the ability to to go out and counter and counter and counter moves and the catch as catch can type stuff and so I think that that's you know how I've changed from a kid to an adult is I'm much more into to that kind of stuff now so but Goldberg I wouldn't be upset if if the Hall of Fame happened for him and I wouldn't be it would just be one of those things to where I'm I'm just going to be bitter and glare at him I think the rest of my life. <laughs> well, I think that I think that covers everything pretty well on this uh, this first subject. So, I want to transition a little bit to titles and prestige. Now, to you guys, uh, we'll start with you, Cedric. What does prestige of a title mean to you? Oh wow! Okay, I did some. Some quick glaring uh, online, some research. I went to a few sites, read a few articles. But for me personally, if I were to sum up everything that I read and, and make it personal for myself, the prestige of the title is is based on a few factors. The respect that the actual holder gives to, to the title. Um, I, I remember when, when back in the day WCW kind of made fun of the WWF, I think, at the time for putting the championship on mankind. And they were like, you know, it almost, for, for them, it took any prestige from the championship. To me, the way mankind reacted to the championship was almost like this is a dream come true. So I, didn't, I don't think it took away from it. You know, here you had a character that was more than proud reaching his goal. So for me, a championship's prestige first starts with, you know, who who's holding it and, and the respect that that person gives to that championship. Uh, another thing that gives prestige to a championship is how the championship looks. And we, and, and throughout the years, we can see how different championships have evolved to either look more towards the person, the, the person carrying his characteristics or person, or personality, or just a big championship that just looks like this is the championship that represents the company. A uh, title that currently comes to mind is the IWGP championship. That is something that when you see who has it, the championship itself is prestigious and the way the company 
carries the championship itself is just amazing. So the prestigious a championship has is based on the respect the company gives it, the respect that the person having the opportunity to wear that championship gives it, and how long a person has that championship. You know, when you see characters, I looked up a, a few numbers from from 2010 to currently. When you have a character like like Rey Mysterio or Daniel Bryan that carry the championship less than a day because they lost it the day they won it, or the next day after a pay-per-view on a Monday, to me, that doesn't really carry prestige. I understand storyline-wise, especially with the whole Money in the Bank briefcase, but to me, it kind of takes away a little bit from it, you know, versus uh, a, a modern CM Punk carrying the championship for 430 days or or back in the day, like we mentioned earlier, a says that, you know, combined... 3,749 days combined, three championships. You know, the prestige comes also. How quickly does a championship change its hand from one from one person to the other? Yeah, wow, that's that's that is deep. And I know that's a it's pretty much where where I would I would have to agree on on everything you said. Um, would you have anything to add there? Outstanding. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, as far as respect for the title, uh, before we, or before I really go into what it means to have title prestige, you gotta, you gotta answer another question. What makes the title? Does the title make the man or does the man make the title? And oh, for oh, me, geez. it's the man who makes the title. Uh, having prestige and respect for the title to me as respect for the men who have earned that title in the past. You talk about Bruno San Martino, Luthez. You know, all these great champions, even Hulk Hogan, you know, when he was a champ for the longest time, uh, that that makes the championship worth it. Uh, you know, a lot of these newer wrestlers coming in, you know, their dream growing up when they were five, six years old it isn't to, to make it into the business. It's to be the champion, you know, and you, you want to be the top guy. And that's that to me is title prestige. Uh, one thing that I think boosts title prestige is defending it often and like you said mm-hmm. not dropping it. Um, one of the worst things to me that I've seen that has removed title prestige is uh, the Intercontinental Curse back in you know 2013-2014 where uh, a guy held it and then you know maybe a week or two later he's dropping it and then that guy holds it for maybe one night drops it and you're pretty much like okay well it's your turn to be the champ well it's your turn to be the champ I think that really diminished a lot, and especially with the IC title, because that to me is known as the workhorse title. You know, the guys who may not necessarily be the biggest money maker, the biggest draw to the company, but they are the best technical wrestler. To me, that's why uh, I think the IC title has so much prestige going forward. Uh, some things that have boosted title prestige recently is the uh, the U.S. Championship with the John Cena Open Challenge. Uh, that I think helped a lot, you know, say what you will about John Cena. He buries people, whatever. But some of those matches that he had just over this last fall, spring, summer, uh, those are some of the, probably the best matches in a while because he had people defending it every week. And it wasn't, well, I mean, you can argue and say, okay, mate, yeah, we knew John Cena was going to win, all that fun stuff. But with all these new competitors putting on four-star, five-star matches, arguably so, but there's like always that little bit of doubt, like, oh, my gosh, you might actually win this. Uh, that, I think, really boosts title prestige. 
when both guys are out there giving everything they have to win it. I think that the um, the Intercontinental title is starting to maybe come back into the fold again after a lot, a lot of years. But it doesn't mean nearly as much to me. In fact, right now, because of John Cena, I think that the United States Championship actually holds more prestige than does the uh, Intercontinental title. But I would argue the same, yeah. One thing that that I will say, and I guess it's maybe something I never understood, what's the difference between the Intercontinental title and the United States title? Is it because the Intercontinental title is supposed to be like all of the continent, so is it supposed to be all of North America, and then the U.S. is only the United States? Or how? I mean, obviously, the U.S. title was what was defended in WCW, and it's a lineage that goes all the way back to that, but then we still have the IC title. Do you think maybe we have too many titles? Does that diminish the prestige of other titles by having too many titles? Oh, that's a I, tough I, one. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, what I was thinking was, you know, if the if the rumor is true and we get to once again see the brand split, having these many titles will work, especially if you, for example, you send the U.S. title to one brand, and you keep the intercontinental title in another brand. You know what I mean? Or or even splitting once again. I hate to see it done one more time, but then you will have the WWE title and probably another World Heavyweight title because I don't I don't think calling the SmackDown SmackDown title is going to work. But uh, I, I loved when they had the ability of the champion is the the champions could perform. So you 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 would split the IC title, you'd split the US title, but then the world title is defended on either show, mm-hmm. um, and then the tag team titles. You don't need two sets of tag team titles. I think that the tag team titles could be defended on either show, and I, I think I like that that idea a little bit better because I remember, you know, with, during the brand split, it was so hard. And I even, even watching the Royal Rumbles this time, it was like, oh, they're the tag team champions, and the guy would come in and they're like, they're the tag team champions. And I'm like, but wait, they're not tag partners. But then you had to remember there was the, you know, the Raw. The, the world uh, tag team champions, and then it was just the, the tag team champions. So you, you had all these different sets of titles, and to me, you couldn't build any of these, these championships past a, mid, a, a mid-level of interest. One thing, for, one thing for me, before I turn it back over to you guys, is uh, do, you, do you think that the – you talked about the look of a belt, the copper belts, these copper pennies that they have for the uh, – Tag championships. Do you think they? Do you think they've lowered the prestige of that title? I really do. I hate the new look of the titles. Well, not necessarily new. It's been around for a couple of years now, but I absolutely hate it. Uh, I don't think it really brings much out. And like, say, this is these are the world champs, or these are the WWE champs. It's just, oh, these are guys with the penny belts, and like, it's just, yeah, they they really should redesign that. And honestly, I would say the same thing about the Divas Championship. I think the Diva is a stupid name for it. I think it should go back to the the women's championship, especially since they're talking about a women's revolution. You know, I think what they do in NXT with the women's belt is a lot better and a lot more prestigious than the Diva's belt. Plus the fact that it's a freaking butterfly. I mean, it, 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 yeah, I, I just it, look of either of those two belts. It's almost disrespectful, in my opinion, when you see the Diva's title. And there's a, there's a butterfly on it. 
and you know you've got Charlotte wearing it you know and and trying to look legitimate with heel heat and maybe it adds to heel heat but you you really want your you you want your baby face coming out there with a butterfly belt yeah. I don't know it's just to to me that that that's one thing if I could step in and I could change it right now it would definitely be the the Divas title what do you think about the the tag title Cedric I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of backtracking because I, I had a quick thought about oh, what sure. you were mentioning earlier. Sorry about that. No problem. I'll make I'll make it quick about having the the two tag team um champions. I remember we had one in Raw and one in SmackDown. Yeah. I realized it, I realized I I understand what you're saying. It's kind of cool to have one person competing on both shows. I just thought about with all the injuries that we're seeing, possibly for w- maybe working too many house shows and and things like that. It might be best i don't know what you guys think having the two like tag team champions in in raw and one in smackdown but i do realize what you were saying it it, it might oversaturate a little bit and then you really don't know who's who or, or like you said it'll be kind of difficult building up the prestige again the prestige of that championship so it it's a toss-up right there for for me because i can see it either way but see, talking maybe, up let's say go go ahead so maybe i'm just old school but I don't think champions should be defending belts at house shows anyway. Um, I agree. And I, I, so, I mean, I'm one of those people that I think that the house shows are for those younger talent to get out there and really work their craft and to get to get out there and get the interactive with some of the live crowds. And you have one or two big names, and they have a tour, and they, they do their thing, and then the big names keep switching in and out for the main events and stuff to, to draw the money to the house shows. But if NXT has proven anything, it's that you could take people – that aren't top world stars, you know, at least not in the United States, and you could put them through the way you've built it, through the way you've done everything. You can sell out buildings with people that aren't John Cena. You can sell out buildings with people who aren't The Rock. So I just, a lot of it's about booking. Yeah, and and especially recognizing the people that you have in NXT, recognizing, yes, they might not be WWE homegrown stars, some of these guys have been around for over a decade making their names be known across the world outside of WWE and honing their craft. But back to the tag team belts, definitely. Ever since I saw the new, and like Hawkster says, not new because they've been around for a while, but the first time they showed those belts, I'm not sure who designed them and who actually said, yep, these look really nice because they honestly, they don't. And, and again, Part of the prestige. I, I just keep thinking, going back to the IWGP. So a lot of people might say, well, this guy's a big fan. And actually, I am. Those belts, they just look amazing. And, and, and that adds to the prestige, in my opinion, the look of a belt. Yeah, I um, I, I actually like the design that's on the, that's on the tag titles, the kind of Spartan helmet-looking um, thing that's on it, I think looks looks really awesome i just i think when they designed those i said it's going to be different and it's going to look different and it'll be different than any of the belts we've, we've had out there and you know so i think when they designed it that was the the whole idea but um no for for me there's a there's a few things that in in history that that have lowered or raised prestige of a belt john cena was one i was going to talk about for sure like the united states championship is elevated to such a degree that it, it means something. You spend all the time building it up, but then you have Alberto Del Rio win it, lose it, and then gain it back in the course of a day. So already they've taken that and they've lowered the prestige of it, whereas the Intercontinental title 
we've now had a feud going on with Kevin Owens. Took him a while to win it. Then, then now he's feuding with, with Dean Ambrose trying to win that, you know, win the title back. And they've actually had some good back and forth storylines. So the, the Intercontinental title starting to kind of come back into the fold now. If anybody remembers the, um, obviously the, the infamous finger poke of doom, which the anniversary just happened not that long ago. It's things like that that can make you turn your entire back on not just a, a title, but an entire product. And I think it was kind of at that moment, like when that happened, I said, this title means nothing. This title means absolutely nothing to them. Or when Jeff Jarrett, you know, jobbed for Hogan and laid there and Hogan pinned him. Um, there were things in WCW that made me really question the validity of them even having a title. And I hate to say that, but that's, that's a lot of times that's why I didn't watch WCW and, and I had continued to watch WWF when I was younger. A finger poke of doom. You're talking about when, uh, when Nash and Hogan went at it for the belt and they were both the uh, NWO guys. It's like, oh, it's your turn to be the champ. I'll lay, I'll lay down for you. Is that what you're talking about? Kind of, but here's the thing. It was very, it was more disappointing than that, and only because there was a big program that was built up over a long period of time about the NWO, you know, Wolfpack, and then the NWO Hogan. So you yeah. had the black and white versus the black and red, and they had built up this big thing, and Hogan and Nash, and they were going to really go at it, and they had been talking for a long time, and then they're at the episode, and Hogan's there in street clothes, and they, they get it all built up like Hogan's going to come out, and he's going to fight Nash finally. After all this time, Hogan been out for a while, and we're finally going to see Nash and Hogan go at it. Then what commences to happen is the finger poke of doom. He pokes Kevin Nash, who's, you know, who sells to the max, on a finger poke, lays down, lets Hulk pin him, and then the title changes hands, and it's a reunion of the NWO. But it was yeah. disgusting to me how the belt was treated in that instance. Much like the Million Dollar Man trying to buy the title from Andre the Giant when he had yeah. won it. Um, same type of thing, except in that, the company stepped in, in the storyline, the company mm-hmm. stepped in and said, we're not going to allow that. Because the prestige of the belt meant more to them than whatever ratings that they were trying to get off of some stupid storyline. I just, it's things like that, that that hurt the credibility of it. And when you see something that happened like with Andre, they made him vacate the belt and it led to this big tournament that Randy Savage, you know, ultimately won. And it was a great tournament. Um, you built the prestige of your title. You put that title front and center and it meant more than money. Yeah. WCW, that that's not what happened. And so, you know, to me, that if I have to think of an infamous time, if I think of a time when something really lowered the prestige of a belt, it has to have been during that time in WCW. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, my, my biggest memories of, of champions aren't necessarily the champion themselves holding the belt, but the matches that led up to, to creating why it's so important. Uh, you talk about uh, Dean Ambrose and Kevin Owens recently, and I'm loving the story between them. You know, a lot of people say, well, Kevin Owens should be the WWE champion. Why isn't he the WWE champion now? Like, well, one, it's not his time, and two, it's just such a great thing that they have going on right now for the IC title. I'd rather it stick there. And to me, that's starting to kind of remind me almost of the, uh, the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart type thing where you have two guys of very similar wrestling styles, that uncanny, unpredictable type style. Well, they'll go out there and do anything. It, it's a very back and forth. You don't know who's going to win, almost like as as opposed to the opposite when John Cena 
was the WWE champion for the longest time. Like you almost knew, well, John Cena's challenging for it. He's going to win it. And so uh, I, I really like what they're doing with the IC title right now. I think it's the matches and the stories that build it up more or less than just a person holding it. Going back to the whole WCW um, era, something that I was thinking about was even not just the stuff that happened between the wrestlers themselves, like the the, the infamous finger poke or just laying down and, and pretty much giving away the championship, but putting a championship on a celebrity. I remember when I saw David oh, Arquette, yeah. when I saw him win the, the, the belt, if I'm not mistaken, it was during the time when he was promoting the movie. You know, some people think that was amazing. But to me, you want to take away any any value to a belt, just put it on a celebrity for no for no reason other than promoting a movie. That's definitely gonna for me personally is gonna take any any value from a championship belt. And you want I think Rasquash mentioned folks and even Hawkster, the person wearing the belt realizing and respecting those that had it before them. I read an article online how, how they were talking about how Morrow, when he, when he comments on IWGP, the championship, how he talks about these IWGP, this guy's the number whatever champion, and he names those before him, and he mentions how long the reigns were and stuff like that. It gets to the point that not just, like you guys were saying, who wears, wears it, because I, I keep thinking about Shinsuke Nakamura and how he put the Intercontinental Championship to the prestige level that is almost at the same level as a heavyweight champion, if not more, based on the fans. And the fans play a great part as well on a championship. You know, the respect that they have for the champion and the history of the championship as well. Sometimes I think social media does wonders, but it has also hurt even things as a championship, knowing who's going to win, who, or spoilers, or the, the background stories and things. There are so many factors, really, that you can come up with why a, uh, a championship might lose prestige that we could that could be a whole show on its own yeah and then you know and as we get deeper and deeper into this you start looking at you know how long we've just discussed these you know these these two things and you think about it, you're like man you could take you could take a day and just just talk about some of these things but i think it's telling especially in japan when that person wins the title there's a flash up there and it says what number they are to have won that title Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and to me that that means a lot, and it does put more brand on on your title. But if you talk to people who are casual, you know, fans who sort of heard of Japanese wrestling, as far as they're concerned, Nakamura was was the champion. Um, they didn't know that he was only the inter, you know, the in only, but the the Intercontinental Champion, not the actual, you know, world champion there. Um, and most people would would tell you that you know if they heard of him they'd say oh he's the, the the Japanese champion guy and it's like well yeah he was a champion but you know you guys didn't realize he was he was only like the intercontinental champion that shows you like the talent level that they have over there is is so ridiculous anybody have anything to touch upon for for prestige before we move on to the uh, the funnest and the most fantasy portion of our uh, particular talk. Yeah, I got one more thing to bring up, and honestly, I think this could probably lead into a, a whole episode of itself, and you're talking about uh, removing some of the championships, uh, or, like, do we have too many? Uh, yeah. I we have too many, but I definitely think there is a confusion in the mid-card right now uh, with the IC title and the uh, and the U.S. title, like, what, what qualifies what. 
And uh, my power rankings, you know, we they they list the top twenty five on uh, you know uh, on their power rankings, but as far as rankings of who's the number contender, it feels kind of comes out of nowhere almost. It, if you could have like a an actual listing of who who is where on the contendership, I think that would kind of raise it up a little bit more. Uh, for me, the IC title has always been that one right underneath the US, or the, the WWE champion or the top five title, uh, a way to maybe boost that back up and kind of remove some of the confusion, um, maybe a brand split. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'm not really a huge fan of the brand, brand split. Uh, I did like it the last time they did it, but I think it got kind of confusing when the roster kind of diminished a little. I think they definitely have the depth to do it now. Mm-hmm. One thing I think, obviously, this is probably be a, a discussion for a later time, was uh, make Raw the main show, and for SmackDown, put NXT on SmackDown. Label it as NXT is SmackDown or NXT on SmackDown kind of thing. Bring them to cable TV because they're already the hottest promotion right now, aside from the main card as far as money-making. They're selling out every every show they do, pretty much. I think that would be fantastic. And uh, move the U.S. title over to a mid-card championship on NXT, since the majority of NXT is in the U.S. I mean, obviously, they did uh, that show in or that tour in the U.K. recently. But I think that would be pretty neat to see a, a mid-card in NXT. So you have one mid-card championship on Raw, one mid-card on, uh, on NXT, you're going SmackDown. Uh, that, that's just an idea that I think would kind of bring forward and would help boost some of the the NXT mid card guys a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll touch on that for a second, only because I had a I had a similar idea, but mine's slightly different than yours. What if instead of a three hour RAW, what if the first hour of RAW was NXT television, and you put NXT on for that that first hour, and then you add a television title, you do a brand split, you add a television title to the mm-hmm. NXT. And they defend that every episode. So there's a title match on every episode of NXT. They're, whoever the television champion is at that time will be their mid card title, and he'll defend that he'll defend that title on every episode. And in that way, when you have your your takeovers, that's where the the other titles can be defended. But you have one title defense you're having on every episode of NXT. Then it goes directly into the two hour Raw. And then you have the two-hour SmackDown. Keep the Intercontinental Championship on Raw. You put the uh, U.S. title back on SmackDown, and you almost have a tri-branded type thing going on. One more of a, you know, developmental, like what it is, mm-hmm. but getting those guys on, on TV that first hour of Raw. Because to be honest, like the, to me, the three-hour product is just way too much. But you can keep the same sponsors, same promotions. It's the same style. It's still a PG program. You're it, it, a little different. It wrestles a little different than than the sports entertainment style you see on Raw. But I think you I think you're you're building a TV audience and then you can really focus on having a good product over that two hours instead of trying to fill so much time in the way that they do now. Um, with matches that, that either one. people don't care about or people that, you know, it's just too long. I think that would be fantastic because one, you're introducing new talent to casual audiences that don't have the network or don't really invest as much as say the hardcore fan and two that maybe solve some of our jobber questions from last week about there's no more jobbers bring some of the the unknown nxt guys 
and let them face some of the guys later on on Raw for the Smash comp or the yeah for the for the slaughter matches. Yeah, and I think I think that's something maybe we'll do. We we could almost do. You're right. We could almost do a whole show on on just that. We've been on here looks uh, like we're around an hour or so. So I was just I want to take the last bit of our our show here today, and I sort of want to just talk a little bit about. A, a fantasy matchup, and I think this is something we can throw on here for each show. And so for today, I've selected a what if, and the scenario is, what if Brett the Hitman Hart were to have taken on Kurt Angle in a one-hour submission Iron Man match? Who do you think would win? What do you think? Some, what do you think they could do as far as chemistry, the way they'd work together? Those type of things. Just touch on on anything you'd want to see in a match like that. Uh, Cedric, why don't you go ahead and start? Uh, sure. Other other than the fact that I think that would be one of the greatest technical matches, I think easily one of the top five, top ten of all times. Just two great technical experts. That's def- definitely that put the word. They bring meaning to the word wrestling in in this sports entertainment world. These are two top wrestlers. What would I like to see, or, or what I think would happen? Definitely, you would you would see one one guy fighting to get. His sharpshooter in, while the other one's trying to get his his ankle lock, and I, I can just see one of the falls being some way somehow Kurt Angle putting Brett him and Hart in the ankle lock, and all of a sudden Hart finding a way to reverse it and getting Angle into a sharpshooter. I, I just think that would be an amazing, amazing chain wrestling, something that we don't see much nowadays, where sometimes in, in the WWE doesn't really doesn't flow as well like back in the day, like. Like Hawkster mentioned Chris Benoit. I remember Benoit versus Regal. You want to see chain wrestling, but that's a whole different uh, match. But looking at heart and angle, I think you could definitely see some good hard hits. Two folks that can sell a hit very well in just a really good technical match. Just trying to see who gets whom in, in their finishing move. And every night, I'm pretty sure that one of those, if, if we can allow a small package, I can see Brett putting a small package on angle. And getting there, but just just seeing their moves to get you there. Bret Hart with his clotheslines and his backbreakers and his second rope um, elbow drop, and just seeing Kurt Angle with his suplexes and and even the angle slam preparing you for for the ankle lock. That would that would definitely be uh, a Booker's dream, definitely. So in, in their prime, both guys at the the maximum points of their characters, who do you think would win? Who would I think would win that match? Yeah, if, 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 you, if you were going to book it based on popularity at the absolute peak of their, their characters. I think Bret Hart would win it. That's just my personal opinion. I'm a big Bret Hart fan. so. Okay. Uh, how outstanding. What do you think? Uh, well, we're talking about Bret the Hitman Hart versus the, the Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle. The arguably the two best technical wrestlers to ever step inside the ring in my personal and humble, well, not so humble opinion, but, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that, that would be a dream come true to see both of them in their prime going at it for an entire hour. Oh my gosh, back and forth, back and forth. Obviously, I think the very end of the match would come down to either the sharpshooter or the ankle lock. In between, I think it would be kind of neat to see a, a couple quick falls back to back, say, uh, Bret Hart gets the first fall, German suplex, uh, arches his back into the one, two, three, 
immediately as soon as he gets up, Kurt Angle flips him around, gets him in the German suplex, flips him over, arches his back one, two, three. We've got maybe three or four of those, you know, tied up at three apiece off of just quick, quick finishes off of a, a suplex, whether German suplex or a, a float over regular suplex. Uh, oh man, just the, the, the chain wrestling and how fast both of these guys could go at it. I think would just be fantastic to watch. Um, as far as the end, uh, I would love to see Brett put him in the sharpshooter and then see Kurt Angle barely trying to get to the rope. And at the last second, instead of grabbing the rope, flips him over, drops him in the ankle lock and Bret Hart taps out. So, uh, for me, it's true. It's damn true. Kurt Angle wins. <laughs> well, I have to break the tie then. All right. So, first of all, I wanna I wanna say because of the way it sounds, we'll say that this was not a submission match because I like your idea better of, of having a couple spots in there where it's a non non submission finish. Um, first of all, I don't. I, I know I've seen Kurt Angle tap on a few occasions during a match, and he was actually choked out by Taz uh, in, in a match before. Um, hmm. But I have never, ever seen Bret Hart submit. Who proud? I've, 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 I've never seen him, never seen him submit on a on a pay per view that I can remember. Um, any anywhere, anytime. If, if he was beaten, it was clean. It was you know from a submission or from a, from some kind of large attack. But from a submission, I've I've never seen Bret Hart submit. If somebody can can tell me a time or place when that happened, I'd love to hear it because uh, I, I can't recall. You know, possibly when they were wrestling tags, it could have happened, but uh, as a singles wrestler, okay. I had no knowledge of him ever being submitted. Um, the other thing is, uh, Bret Hart didn't need a finisher to beat you. Mm-hmm. Um, he could beat you with a victory roll. He could beat you with a small package. He could he could beat you with just about just about any maneuver you can think of. I mean, he pinned Roddy Piper by countering the sleeper, kicking himself off that rope, and then flipping him over and have his shoulders pinned to the mat. The first time Roddy Piper's shoulders ever been pinned to the mat too in his entire career. Um, the other thing, though, on the other side of it. Is I don't I, I I watched the they had the Benoit Bret Hart match on on uh, as kind of Owens like tribute match that they did mm-hmm. and um, I, I picture that match as being very similar to that it was counter after counter after counter and there's a little bit of striking offense a little brawling a little bit of technical rev, you know but at the end of the day it was it was exactly what I like to see and that's catch as catch can and some of it was. A little more shoot. It looked a little more shoot as far as the way they were actually wrestling. You had a waist lock takedown, a double leg takedown. You know, these moves that were actually used in in wrestling. Um, yeah, when when it comes to who would win a battle on the mat, um, I think during the match you could illustrate how much better Kurt Angle is as a mat technician, and I think that's what I would do is. He's, he can run circles around Brett wrestling. And the match would start out with them sort of feeling each other out and Kurt dominating him from a wrestling perspective. Oh, and that's when, Brett, that's when Brett has to think outside the box. I think that's when, when you see Brett using his, uh, his ability to counter and being a better counter wrestler than Kurt Angle, he would counter what Kurt Angle's doing. But anyway, what were you going to say? Well, I was just saying, uh, as far as... Bret Hart, or uh, Kurt Angle being the better Matt wrestler. I'm an Olympic gold medalist, damn it. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that he, I think that he could illustrate that during the match. It's, I would just love to see, like, you know, they talk about how great a technical wrestler Bret Hart is, and then watch Kurt Angle like just, just run, just run him into the ground as far as from a wrestling perspective. Bret's frustrated, has to change his whole game plan. And if there's one thing Bret Hart could do, he could wrestle anybody, Yokozuna to Owen Hart to who whoever he needed to go in against, and he could make them look good. Yeah. So he gets he gets out wrestled. He ends up coming back, and I I see the finish. You know, pretty similar to what happened with him and Sean. They go into overtime. These guys can't get any falls, and um, after a full hour, they they go at it. And I I see the finish though as being. Bret Hart catches him out of nowhere with something crazy, just something he hadn't seen, something he didn't see coming. But I don't see either of them ending this match with a finisher, and I don't see either of them ending it in a submission. I, yeah. I, I would I would see it as a quick roll-up and a, a surprise thing in overtime, and Bret Hart out-counters him and, and ends up being the winner of the match. Man, what a what a great match it would be. And I was, think, I was thinking, you know, you have, you have the Olympic gold medalist, but let's not forget... Uh, a man that graduated from from Stu Hart's dungeon, you know, so he too has a lot of of mat wrestling as well. Maybe not to the level of an amateur wrestler, Greco Roman wrestler, but definitely Bret Hart had had his moves, and it, and many who have graduated from that from that dungeon, you, we, we've seen some good wrestling come out from them. And and I agree with you, you know, Bret Hart had more than just a sharpshooter, you know, he he was slap a power driver on you as well, got some good power moves. And I was thinking about the submissions. I know Bob Backlund beat him with the chicken wing, but it was more of a Owen Hart influencing his mom to throw the towel in. So it wasn't really yeah. that Bret Hart yeah, was tapped out. But yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the, that goes in the books as, hey, he gave up thanks to the towel being thrown. But that, that is good lore, too, because I, I did remember that about halfway through. I was like, oh, I think Bob Backlund beat him. With a chicken wing, but yeah, it was a, he, they threw in the towel on him, he never quit. And it's funny because you know that paralleled what happened with Backlund, mm-hmm. where when Backlund lost the Iron Sheik, it wasn't that Backlund tapped, it was Backlund's manager threw in the towel for Backlund. So I think that they, they took that whole angle and they wanted it to look exactly the same as it did back in the 80s. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I would love to, I would love to challenge someone to tell me a time. When, when Bret Hart ever ever submitted in a match, whereas I can I know a couple instances of Kurt Angle having to have done so, um, and I can even think of instances where like in the Royal Rumble the, they were tearing out because oh. you're, you're in the Rumble, but um, yeah I uh, in a in a shoot fight Kurt Angle would would beat Bret Hart, but you know I think if if we look at an inter, this entertainment form that they're they're putting on and the way that how over their characters were Kurt Angle. Vastly popular, very popular guy, but I don't know if it gets better in the worldwide scheme of things. Bret Hart was internationally the biggest star, I think, ever in professional wrestling, internationally. In the United States, I still think either Stone Cold Steve Austin or Hulk Hogan probably holds that as being the most popular wrestlers of all time. But from a worldwide scale, I don't I don't know if there's anybody more well-known and uh, that was more popular with the fans than Bret Hart. And I, I, I will say that, this: if, uh, if Kurt Angle has to lose this match, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out another Kurt Angleism as far as a a way to end the match with Bret Hart winning. Kurt Angle's one of his sayings is, "I'll break his freaking ankle." Well, <laughs> how about we do that? He gets him in the ankle lock, 
and he legit, well, storyline, I don't know, whatever. He, Kayfabe breaks yeah, his, okay. Kayfabe yeah. breaks his ankle, and Bret Hart, because he is a graduate of the Hart Dungeon and a legit badass, with a broken ankle and all, O'Connor roll or victory rolls him up for the final win. I think that'd be kind of neat. Yeah, then just let Bret Hart take a breather for about six months. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he was gonna you know, be—he was good playing up, playing possum. That's for sure. Yeah, I just—I I look at the two, and and I love Kurt's work, and I, I love the way he did things. But man, I just—I remember it's the saddest match of all time that I remember too. But Bret Hart was wrestling this guy named Mantar, and you guys probably don't even remember Mantar because he was such a bad gimmick in the mid '90s. When he made, he um, wore the. Uh... He wore the muscle body shirt and clothes. No, that's Giant Gonzalez. Okay. Um, Mantar wore this big pink, uh, suit, like, with the single strap, or it had the double strap, kind of like Andre the Giant, you know, the singlet. (laughs) But it was this, it was this big pink, like, almost furry looking singlet. And then he would paint, they would paint black, like almost what looked like horns that connected back into his hair, and they would go like around his ears where it was his face paint stuff. Look him up; he's pretty good looking. Oh, Mantar, Look Mantar up. was almost four hundred pounds, and I remember he had to wrestle Magic as Brad. I think it was like on Superstars or some crap on a Saturday, and they start doing the test of strength, and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be good. So Mantar is obviously way stronger than Bret Hart, and he's pounding him down with this uh, this test of strength or the old uh, Greco-Roman knuckle lock, if you want to call it that. And they're, they're going at it. So Bret Hart does this thing where he, he keeps the grip, does a somersault, and ends up like underneath Mantar with leverage. And he's just holding his hands there. And you can see he legit countered it and actually held his hands and he was pushing upward where you could see he legitimately countered into where he had an advantageous position over Mantar, actually forced him back into the ropes, then Mantar goes tumbling out, and then Bret Hart, of course, you know, was walking around the ring. But watching something like that, I just go, you know, this guy, he literally knew a counter to every move. And when they say that, I don't think they were kidding. Like, when you hear the announcers, man, this guy knows a counter to every move. I, I honestly can't think of anything that, that Bret Hart couldn't counter. I've seen him counter the razor's edge. I've seen him counter... You know, every, every move that these guys have hit where once they put it on you, it's over, I've seen him counter it. And um, I've seen him counter Benoit's crossface. I've seen him counter the, the sharpshooter on his own. Um, that's the other thing. He could apply a sharpshooter from anywhere, any timing. You know, you see him, like, land. He's, he went from a, his uh, Russian leg sweep, spun around into a damn sharpshooter. The guy could put it on anywhere. So I just think he, he technically... He may not have had the wrestling background, but from a technical, professional wrestling standpoint, I still think he'd have the edge over Kurt Angle, and I think that he would he would win the match based upon that. Um, he'd eventually out counter him, catch him in something, and it would be match over. Well, there's a reason he's known as the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And I, I and I, I totally think that fits. Before we uh, before we end the podcast today, though, I do want to say that. If it wasn't for Bill Goldberg, we actually probably could have seen this match happen. So oh, once well. again, Bill Goldberg, that's your fault, <laughs> you bastard. Who's next? <laughs> Who's next? Obviously, not them. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, not anymore. You gave him a concussion, you ass. <laughs> but anyways, 
I had a lot of fun today. You guys got any closing statements or anything you want to, any, any alibis that you want to talk about before we get off here? I just want to throw out an obligatory woo! <laughs> oh my god! Tony <laughs> <laughs> Jay stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I don't think that snake's devenomized, as we were talking about last, uh, last episode. My, my favorite Vince McMahon quote or, what a maneuver! <laughs> but, uh, it's been great having you guys on again, and man, we covered, we covered a lot of stuff and uh, quite a bit of time too. So, this is a uh, hopefully for our listeners, they've enjoyed our our, we, our couple weekly talk here, and they continue to listen to us just BS about wrestling. But uh, we want to thank everyone for having sat through the uh, the podcast, and uh, we're actually going to be able to let uh, both of our individuals actually close it down tonight because you know one didn't disconnect right at the end of the show. I updated my Skype. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't you guys go ahead and close this up? All right. This is well, Service Person Entertainer. Just want to say thanks to all the listeners. Thanks for supporting us. We're just three guys. You know, we're not just your common fans. We are really passionate about the world of sports entertainment and wrestling in general. So just hope you guys keep supporting us and, you know, share the same passion that we do. And if we say something incorrectly, correct us. And if you guys like what you're li- hearing, please definitely give us a comment. If you like it, like it. Hate it, tell us why. If you like it, like it. I like it. I'm going to give this a like. I'm going to post this, and I'm going to like my own status just because of you. All right. Um, But, uh, all right, guys. Well, again, thanks again. Um, Please fact check us because it shows us you're listening to the show. And uh, if you like like things we're doing, let us know. If you like it, like it. Huh? Yep. For now, now, though, this is going to be the – the Rasquatch signing off, and uh, King's Court is adjourned. Thank you very much. So, yeah, walking down the street one day, so I decided to say, hey girl, what's up, what you doing, how about you? Song, please sing along my